Um, here, I just still don't like the title. It's weird, man. I feel like I need a kid to have that title. Um, pastor here at Harvest. No offense to people without kids, I guess, uh, or with. I don't know who that offends. Um, mostly me. Uh, but I'm uh, excited to, excited maybe a strong word. I'm mostly excited to share with you this morning. If I haven't met you yet, I'd love to meet you after the service. Um, we are going to dive into Romans uh, 12 verses 15 and 16, and I'm reading out um, of the NIV. I know normally we read out of ESV, but uh, I'm, I'm more comfortable in the NIV. It's kind of just what I've grown up with, and I need all the help I can get this morning, um, the Spirit and NIV. So uh, let's read verses 15 and 16. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Jesus, I need your help. Spirit, I need your help. Lord, I need you to bring about your spirit of humility and your spirit of truth in order to speak this morning. God, you know like how I just don't feel like I don't feel worthy or good enough. Um, and I wrestle with that, like in, in sharing this with this body and with my brothers and sisters here. So God, would you give me confidence and boldness? And Lord, would you go to the hearts of these people here? Lord, would they be softened? Thank you, God, that you always go before us into whatever we're going into. And Lord, would this not just be something that we can look on later this afternoon and, and be like, God, you spoke to me like in that time. But Lord, would we look back? Uh, tomorrow, when we look back a week from now and see the truth that's been revealed to us through your spirit um, that has remained true for us. Lord, help us not to forget in your name. Amen. Um, so this was a tough, I think I say this every time. I think every sermon is a tough one. There's never one where I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is easy. Um, but this was a tough one for me because even though it's two verses, right, that should be not very much to have to sink your teeth into I looked at it and I saw like six different sermons in it because there could be a whole sermon on rejoice with those who rejoice. There could be a whole sermon on mourn with those who mourn. There could be a whole sermon on live in harmony with one another. There could be a whole sermon on don't be proud. There could be a whole sermon on associating yourselves with those of low position. There could be a whole sermon on do not be conceited. And mix some tryptophan in there during this last week um, and thinking about all these things. I was like, ah, what do I do? And I sleep. Um, and, uh, but it was an awesome week of like diving in and then letting go and like diving in and letting go, finding rest and, and still just seeing that God's truth um, is, is what stands out the most. And, and really, when I first started like preparing for the sermon, how I laid it out, I had it totally backwards. Um, and it took a little bit for me to realize that, because uh, I, I work with Young Life. I'm a leader um, with Young Life, and a lot of the time, uh, there's the talk portion of the night at club, um, where it's almost like you want to leave students um, with this climax. You know, you build, 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 and then you leave them with the main point that you want them to go with, and you want them to think about as they leave that place. And so it was like I was preparing that. I was like hitting on each one of these things, and all of a sudden, um, at the end, it was going to be then let's look back at these verses through the light of being kingdom or through the through the lens of being kingdom people of of seeing that this is all about being people of God's kingdom and i was like wait a second like that is totally flip-flopped right there shouldn't be this climax that i'm working towards like this is me for starters standing up in front of my brothers and sisters and what is this about first and foremost well, while it's good for us to be kingdom people, while it's so good for us to leave this place with application, things that we seek God in, that, that we can work on in our own lives, what's most important is that God gets the glory from the start, is that, that this is about God, first and foremost. I've wrestled a lot of my life when I approach Scripture, um, going to a passage and, and reading it, and then like, how does this apply like to me? Right? I think, I think a lot of us can have that tendency of like, what does this mean for me, God? What does this have to do with my life? Instead of first saying, God, what does this show me about you? Like, where are you at in this, Jesus? And then from there, how then 
should I live be in light of who God is? And so as we dive into these, into these uh, verses that are very much speaking to the church, speaking to brothers and sisters, and that's, that's what I'm intending to do today, that I'm just a brother up here that is hoping to encourage, challenge, um, and, and admonish you to, to go from this place um, more as kingdom people. Um, but let's remember like who God is at the start. And, and what we're going to do is look at Colossians. Uh, Greg preached last week, and it was on, on thankfulness was kind of the topic. And one of the verses that really stood out to me that he shared was from Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. And once again, I'm reading out of the NIV, and it says, I think it's up on the screen, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the, king, from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We were rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light, all of us. Or if you're here today and you haven't, um, you haven't decided to follow Jesus yet, that is what God wants to do in your life. He wants to rescue you from this dominion of darkness and bring you into this kingdom of light. And the picture, I was actually with uh, my, some of my Young Life guys that we have a small group uh, that meets on Sunday nights, and we were going through this passage, and the picture that I always get in my mind is from Lord of the Rings uh, in Return of the King. And sorry, there's lots of spoilers if you haven't seen it, but you've had plenty of time. So that's on you. Um, so in, in the Return of the King, Frodo, if you don't know what I'm talking about, that just sounded so weird right then. <laughs> I just realized I heard Frodo for the first time, um, and it was weird. Uh, so Frodo, um, he is taking this ring to destroy it um, in Mordor, and um, in order to <laughs> it just gets weirder. Um, and <laughs> Uh, he has to do this to, in essence, eradicate evil, right? To er eradicate this power, this dominion of darkness that's just looming over this place that, that once was good before darkness came. And he does that. He destroys the ring. And there's this scene where actually if you go, um, if you go like in the chapter selection on the DVD, it's called The End of All Things. Um, and, and there's this part where him and his buddy Sam are on this rock, and there's all this molten lava that's just completely surrounding them on this rock. They're beaten up, they're bloody, they're bruised, they have no energy, they're completely exhausted from this crazy journey that finally has come to its completion, but it looks like this is the end for them. Um, they're completely surrounded. There's no way that they have the energy, the power, the strength, the capability to remove themselves from this situation. And when I was watching this in the theater for the first time, this happens. They have this like cool moment together of like, we did it, but more sad, but happy, I guess. Um, and they're on this rock, and it's almost like this exhale, but then the screen just fades to black. And like everybody in the theater thought this was the end like of the movie. We're like, what? No, you can't do that. Um, and, and I remember just like, oh my gosh. And then it fades back in. And it's brighter, and all of a sudden these huge eagles come um, with Gandalf. I'm sorry. <laughs> I sound crazy. Um, I swear it's true. And there's going to be a point. Uh, they come in, pick up Frodo, pick up Sam, then it fades out again. And the next time we see Frodo is it's completely bright, completely white, completely clean, completely spotless in this room that is just um, luminescent. And... And, and there's joy, and his friends come back in, friends that he thought were, were dead. And it's just this total picture of this darkness where it was this rescue that Frodo had no way of getting to this elven city um, on his own, <laughs> um, but that he was brought into this kingdom of light, and that that is the picture I think of with us. And when I look at my life and the way that I used to live, I was totally in a dominion of darkness, right? Like I had no way of saving myself because I had gotten to so much trash. I had gotten to so much junk that it totally felt like a pit. It felt like a pit surrounding me. And then when I was rescued, when I was brought out of it, and it wasn't through my own doing, it wasn't through anything that I could understand or that I could concoct, that it was through finally seeing Jesus and who he was when I was brought out of that, 
the light that I experienced, the love that I experienced, the hope that I experienced was like nothing I had ever tasted. And everything was different now. I still struggled. I still, I still had times where, where I, I fell into temptation. I still have them today. But it was so crazy to, to see, like, all I could see in my life was this pit, this hole. And then it was now standing outside of that pit and hole and not just looking down and being like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I used to be there, but looking forward and how big, how massive everything else was, how God was working in everything, that everything had hope now, everything had joy, everything was brighter. That's this picture that that Paul paints um, in Colossians of being rescued and brought out of that. And, And Greg last week shared with us, like, this is reason that we have to give thanks. Like, this is what God has done. And if that is the only thing that you chew on today and that you munch on for a while, like that is good to remember what we've been rescued from and what we've been rescued into. Because now we're in this kingdom of light. So then how do we live as people that are in this kingdom of light? There has to be a response. There has to be a change. There has to be something different. You're not going to keep living the same way as you did in this dominion of darkness. So the passage that we're diving into, let's remember um, in Romans 12.1 that it says, in, in view or in light of God's mercy, right? That because of who God is, because of how he rescued us, now this is how we live in turn. Throughout Scripture, God's painted this picture of his people being set apart. It started with Adam and Eve. Like when he created everything and it was good, when he created all of creation. It was good. And then he created Adam and Eve, and they were set apart because they were, the, they were the one thing in creation that God said, this is in the likeness of me. Like everything else was a picture of God as well, right? You could see his love. You could see his mercy. You could see his splendor. You could see his glory. You could see his beauty and other things in creation. But with man and woman, it was the one thing that God set apart and said, I'm creating them in the likeness of me. We move on and we see Abraham, that, that Abraham had a place, that Abraham, or God had a place for Abraham. God had a place um, for his people to be, and it was going to be so many descendants through Abraham. So he said, Abraham, you're set apart, so I'm having you leave your country. I'm having you leave your family to go start afresh, to start anew, to live differently than you have been, and you're going to follow me. I'm going to lead you as we go into this. We see Moses then, who, who God gives him the law. And the law is something often that we have such a hard time um, understanding what it is until uh, we see that God truly had his people set apart, that they were going to look different from the rest of the nations, that they weren't going to worship other idols, that they weren't going to do this thing with their clothing, they weren't going to do that thing uh, over here, that they were going to have sacrifices, that they were going to have all these different things, all for them to be different than the rest of the world, to be set apart so that people would see them and be like, that is God's people. Those are God's people. Like, they're not like us. They worship a God that's not like ours. They also didn't have a king for a time that God said, like, I'm going to be your leader. I'm going to be the one that leads you different than every other nation um, that surrounded him. And we see this throughout Scripture. Um, As Jesus comes, he's totally set apart. And we see this theme recurring and recurring and recurring. Yet, we also see the theme is when God's people fall the most and fall the hardest is when they rebel against being set apart. When they conform to being like the rest of the world. When they say, no, actually, God, like you're, what you're saying is good for being set apart. I think I know better than that. Like That is the story of man. And that should ring true for us too, right? Like as we, as we look at Scripture, as we go through the Old Testament, We can see ourselves in how God says, I want you to be set apart. I want you to be my kingdom person. Yet, you keep conforming to who you used to be. It's like you're remembering yourself in that dominion of darkness. No, that's not who you are anymore. You're set apart from that. You're complete. It's not even like you got one toe back in there. I completely removed you. So now live that way. So let's start to break this down. Romans 12 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Uh, I want to focus first on the rejoicing 
piece of it. So the Latin prefix in the word rejoice um, is again. Uh, it's re for, and it means again. Um, and then the, the Latin name, joyce, um, means joy, comma, Lord. So in essence, the word rejoice is like, again, take joy in the Lord. Like, again, take joy in the Lord. Again, take joy in the Lord. And, and so if I were to be at a Blazer game and they win, like one of the seven games, um, that they are going to win this season. Uh, if they win, and I'm like, oh man, I'm rejoicing right now. Well, no, I'm actually not. Uh, because I'm not, again, taking joy in the Lord. <laughs> so that's not what that word actually means. Like rejoicing is something that's set apart for God and to take joy in the Lord. Like I can cheer, I can be excited, I can feel yay. Um, <laughs> but, but truly, to rejoice is only to again say, Lord, I can take joy in you. I can take joy in what you've done. Um, and, uh, sorry, just lost my place really quick. Um, in Philippians 4.4, 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Uh, it's almost like rejoiceception, where it's like, this person is already rejoicing. They're taking joy in the Lord, and God's saying, all right, you rejoice again. Like, rejoice again, because there's always things, once again, referring to last week, despite our circumstances, God is good all the time, not just when we acknowledge that he's good. We can always take joy in the Lord, despite what's going on in our lives. And so this says to rejoice with those who rejoice. So those, those who are taking joy in the Lord again, we're to do that again with them. In the same way, we're to come alongside them and say, yes, I will take joy in the Lord um, again with you. Not praising the person or their circumstances. And I think that's something that we can do. Like, um, it, 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 we, can, we can totally come into it. I'll use a weak example. Someone has wanted a job for a long time, gets a job, and then we can... We can praise maybe that person for sticking out, or we can praise like, oh man, it's so good that you got this job. This job is great for you. It's going to be a totally good fit. And, and those aren't bad things, but we need to take joy in the Lord for his provision. Like That helps remind us, recenter us too in our own lives that I can take joy in the Lord in my circumstances as well. Um, and that we can come alongside people in the midst of that. This should be something that us as believers are excellent at. Like, this should be something that we want to do, we're excited to do all the time. And yet, for me, this is something that is hard to do, which is weird. And, and I hope there's other people that relate with that here, or maybe I should just sit in the front row and keep talking. Um, but it can be hard, and, and yet we should be excellent at it because we've experienced hope. We've received joy. We've received love. Like, why wouldn't it be our everything to see others experience that as well? And when we see them experience that hope from the Lord, to experience the goodness of God, to come alongside them and say, yes, you're getting it. You're receiving it. What I've received now, we get to share in this together. This is the best thing that could ever happen. Yet, it is something that is hard for us to do, and there's multiple reasons for it. One for me that, that stood out, um, and I'll use an example, is when I've gone to Young Life Camp in the past, um, I've taken a, a, an array of different, um, different students that either I've walked with them uh, for a year or walked with them for multiple years or maybe just a couple weeks or maybe I'm meeting them for the first time like in, in that week. Um, and, and we get to camp, and, and camp is so awesome because they get to fully unplug in their busy, busy lives and stop and slow down and a lot of the time, get to see God, like for who he is and what he's about, sometimes for the first time in their life. And they have so much space since it's for a week that they can respond to who God is as well. Um, and it's awesome, right? And, and just like as a side note in this, like we live here in Camas, or if you're nearby, for one, in this country, but here in Camas especially, we live in a busy place. We live in a place that is always offering you something else to do, something else to be a part of, something else that you should be on top of. And not too often do we just stop, slow down, say, God, like I want to see you. I want to experience like who you are. I want to respond to who you are because I've set aside this time. Um, that's what Sabbath is all about. 
Like having a Sabbath day is to stop, remember who God is, to, to truly respond to who God is in that time. And this is something I really struggle with. Um, and I don't have a family of my own that I'm taking care of as well. So I can only imagine like what that's like for some of you here. And I want to encourage you in the midst of busy, in the midst of crazy, stop. Because I've seen what it does with these Camus students where they're living almost just as busy lives as the rest of us, right? Like Camus High School expects a lot and they expect a lot out of themselves. Every sports team, every club, whatever it may be. Um, and when they stop and unplug from everything, when they get to see and experience who God is, they respond. And I'm guessing we would too. Um, anyways, so they respond to who God is. And a lot of the time in that place at camp, they say, I want to follow you, Jesus. And what should I do in that moment? I should be so jacked. I should be so stoked. I should be so amazed that God did this in that space and in that place. And, and, and a lot of time I try to muster up as much of that as I can, but I find myself in the back of my mind almost always going, we'll see, right? Because we're going to go back home in a couple days, and it's a lot different than camp. And I know how I stumble. I know how I fall back at home. And I've taken students to camp for, I think it's been like six summers now. And I've seen lots of times where students come and say, I want to follow Jesus. And then they come back home and they just go back to what, to what they used to be a part of. They go back to that dominion of darkness. And it's hard. And I almost, I almost say, we'll see, to protect my own heart, like in the midst of it. Um, because I, I assume, in essence, that they may fall or they may stumble, and they may just go back. But I'm so wrong in that, because where do we ever see that in Scripture, that that, as believers, is, is, should be our response when somebody says, I want to follow you, Jesus? Um, I think maybe two times ago, when I got to share with you guys, shared the story of the prodigal son. We see the son that, had, that completely spent everything he had um, and had nothing left, you know, was totally in this dominion of darkness, but says, I'm going to go back home to the Father. How does the Father respond? How does the picture in the story of God the Father, of Jesus, respond in this moment? Um, he runs out to meet his son as he sees him returning home. Uh, I read this book, um, The Ragamuffin Gospel, and one of the things the author said in it is, is in this interaction that takes place between the Father and Son, there's things that we miss out on because we, we don't see what the father's not doing, right? So the father in that moment, as his son comes back home, he puts the ring on his finger. He said, let's throw a party, he puts the cloak on him because my son that once was dead is now alive. What the father doesn't say is like, what did you do while you were over there? Like, what did you get into? Like, I need to hear the whole story. Like what the father doesn't say is like, do you still have a craving for some of those things? Some of those women that you were with? Do you still have a craving for the drink? Like, do you want to just spend all that money and, and go back again? That's not the father's, like, stance with his son. That's not the father's countenance and presence. The father says, welcome home, my son. He fully rejoices, even though the son doesn't even know fully how to rejoice in that moment. He fully rejoices in that moment. But we do see the person in that story that says, we'll see. And it's the older brother that hangs outside and doesn't go into the party. And if we don't fully come alongside people and rejoice with them, whether it's somebody that's choosing to follow Jesus for the first time or, or saying, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, even whatever the case may be for the hundredth time, if we don't come alongside them and fully rejoice in the midst of that, we can still be outside the party and miss out on all that God's doing and all that God wants to show us for how good he is. And I don't know what that parable fully means for being outside of that party, but that scares me a bit. I don't want to be outside. I don't want to stand before God one day and he says, yeah, you actually were outside the party. You never came in. So we're to rejoice with those who rejoice. There's other reasons why this is hard for us, but um, I'm going to move on to mourn with those who mourn because I think that it encapsulates some of those things as well. 
Um, I read an article that talked about uh, the differences between sympathy and empathy. Um, and, and what it said was empathy and sympathy both come from the Greek verb pasco, which it means to suffer. Um, but regarding sympathy, sim means with. Um, so to suffer with another person, while empathy is to suffer in another person. Um, so mourning with those who mourn. If there's someone in our lives, if there's somebody in the church, if there's, if there's one of our friends or family members that's mourning, um, that they're in this place of suffering, um, I think what's easiest for us to do, while it's still hard, and I don't want to lessen it in any way, is to have, have sympathy like in that situation. And, and what that can look like a lot of the time is um, we're with this person, uh, and they're going through so much, and we don't know what to do. Or we think we completely know what to do <laughs> sometimes as well. Um, and in both of those places, kind of what we resort to or what we go back to since we don't understand what they're going through fully is we go back and think through our lives and we think through, when was I in a place that was similar to this? When did I go through something that could connect? How can I connect this to their life? And so then we say things a lot of the time like, I know what you're going through, or I understand the situation what you're in, that you're in. I've been through what you're going through. And we often do that out of a good heart and out of a good place of really trying to say, hey, I'm with you in this because I went through it too. But a lot of the time, and I can only speak for myself, and this article kind of makes a broad statement about this, but what I feel in that moment when someone does that to me, when they say, I've gone through what you've gone through, I, I'm, I've been through this, I'm like, no, you haven't, <laughs> right? Like, you don't know, like, the, all the details of the situation. You haven't gone through like what I've gone through. You haven't been through what I've been through. Um, and this article stated that in that, people feel really alone, even though there's so many people with them because we make these statements of, I know about this suffering. And, and, and that person, they, they both want someone to suffer with them, but really they want somebody to suffer in their suffering, like to fully understand their suffering, to fully know what it is that they're going through, to know the full weight of their brokenness, of their pain, to truly be empathetic. And as I thought about this and was like, how the heck, if it truly means like to empathize with someone um, is to mourn with them, how am I supposed to mourn with those who mourn when they, it uses the same word as their mourning? So I, I, I assume that it's the deepest form of it. Um, since it used mourn with those who mourn, like how can I truly empathize with them in the midst of that? And I don't know if I can, right? I don't think I can do it. I don't think I can fully come to a place where I can be in their suffering and fully know and understand what's going on. And in that, we have so much hope because there is one that fully knows their suffering that has fully been in their suffering, fully took on their suffering in Jesus. That Jesus is the only one that fully empathizes with all of us and mourns with those who mourn in the perfect way. So if you're here today and you felt alone because of the suffering that you're going through, that nobody understands it, nobody gets it, it's probably because you've been looking to the wrong people that you need to look to Jesus because he fully does understand. He fully does know. And not only that, but he's conquered it. He conquered it on the cross. And not even that, he rose again three days later saying, I've also conquered death, that your suffering couldn't even hold me down. So trust in me because I will raise you again from the suffering like I raised, conquering it and forever sealing it in the grave. So then in turn, how do we mourn with those who mourn? Well, for starters, we have to run to Jesus, right? Like, that is the place that we as a believer have to go to know how to be with someone, whether it's rejoicing or whether it's mourning. We have to run to Jesus. And one of the first things we have to do as we run to Jesus is we have to stop thinking about ourselves. We have to stop thinking about our circumstances. We have to stop trying to relate it back to us. I think that's why it's hard to rejoice with those who rejoice as well. 
Uh, let me just use an analogy really quick that, I don't know if it oversimplifies it or not, but imagine me and my friend were watching the Super Bowl together, and I'm a huge fan of the Green Bay Packers. Thanksgiving was hard. Um, and uh, my friend is a Patriots fan, and uh, we're watching this game together. Those are the two teams playing in the Super Bowl, and uh, the Green Bay Packers get the win. Like, the score's 54 to 0. Sorry, Matt. Um, score's 54 to 0. And I am stoked. Probably too stoked. And my friend is bummed. Probably too bummed. <laughs> um, no, I'm not going to go there. Um, can I, in the midst of my rejoicing, set aside my circumstances, set aside my victory, my team's victory? I didn't do squat. Um, know that, you fans out there. You didn't do anything. Um, set that aside and mourn the loss of the team that we just crushed without rubbing it in their face. Like, can I set aside all of that and be like, dude, I'm so sorry. Like, this is so, and this sounds ridiculous because it should. And I hope for those of you that are emphatic fans that this, maybe this is what should convict you today. Um, just kidding. Um, can I set that aside and truly mourn that loss with this person instead of rejoicing in, in my victory? Flip it, right? My Packers get crushed, unlikely. But they get crushed. They did lose to the Lions. <laughs> um, they get crushed 54-0. to zero. Can I set aside my mourning and truly rejoice with this person? Celebrate their victory instead of just being sore that my team lost. And I think this is a good illustration because it sounds ridiculous. But there's way harder things in life that we can choose to set aside our circumstances. Like say that, that you've been trying to get a job for years and it's still not coming. And, and then one of your friends puts in one resume at one place and they land it. Can you set aside all those years of being frustrated uh, all those years of like, why am I not receiving this and truly rejoice with that person? Another example is, is say that, that you have a child for the first time and, and you're, you're fully rejoicing like in that moment. But just as, as, as much as you're rejoicing in that moment, your, your brother or sister who's been trying to have a child is unable to. Um, and the doctor said that they're not able to going forward. Can you even set aside some of that rejoicing to mourn with your brother or sister in the midst of that, to come to where they are, to set aside your circumstances? This Now it's kind of crazy, right? Especially for those of you that have experienced some of those things. Man, that was the best day of my life. Like This is, this is what this passage is calling us to, to truly rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. And in that, we can't think about ourselves. In Philippians 2.3, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. When we join in other suffering, we're seeking their good, and we don't have any of our own prerogatives in the midst of that. We have to seek Jesus. We have to seek the other's good. We have to put death to ourself, right? And in that, we have to seek the Spirit, too. Because what's awesome, and I think the one way that maybe we could empathize with them, that we could truly be in that suffering, is the Spirit that knows the hearts of, of, of everyone. We seek the Spirit, and God gives us like the weight of what this person is going through to truly suffer with, truly suffer in their suffering. Um, so we have to seek God's Spirit. In the times where, where you don't know how to rejoice as well, we have to seek God's Spirit, where every the fruit of the Spirit brings about all those things, brings about how to rejoice with someone, how to mourn with someone, so that we can do that better. All right, let's move on to Romans uh, 12, 16. And what's kind of funny, in a crazy week, um, and lots of different things going on, I, I came here early this morning, and, and I just read the passage again out loud, 
And, you know, I was like, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, uh, live in harmony with one another. I was like, oh, shoot. I didn't even remember that one. <laughs> and like, because I, I was blowing through it, I guess, when I was getting everything down. Um, and like, there's six topics pretty much in it. And this is one that I just totally spaced on for whatever reason. Um, so we don't have to live in harmony together. That's pretty awesome, right? No. Um, the passage still says that. Uh, and what it reminded me of, I thought about it for 14 minutes this morning. Um, <laughs> no, I, I did soak in it a little more earlier in the week, but I just totally spaced. Uh, was in Acts, uh, where it says they were one of mind and of heart. Uh, and actually, in the King James um, version, this, this passage says that, um, that they're of the same mind, um, to, to live in harmony, or even just thinking about music, right? Like, it's one thing if everybody's singing the melody, and that can sound good, but the second those harmonies start coming in, um, it's a scary line to walk, because you're just one note away from sounding so terrible, I know. Um, and me and my car know really well, um, so I'm practicing. Uh, but when it comes together, it's beautiful. And I think that's something that here at Harvest that, that has been really awesome that we've worked on over the years is how to really live in harmony together, how to be of one mind, of one heart. That's really hard to do because we're all so different in our experiences, in the things that we've gone through, um, what God's doing in our lives, yet he wants to bring all those puzzle pieces together to be one. And how do we do that? Once again, we can't just think about ourselves. If we start thinking about ourselves and our own prerogatives or things that we want to get across, there's no way harmony will ever come about. Like We have to serve each other. It should be our goal, not just here on Sundays, but when we come together in fellowship, when we come together with anyone, it's our goal to serve. Like, what is this person? Even in little ways, right? I've had to do this with my roommates at times where it's like, hey, let's watch a movie. And I'm like, I want to watch this one, you know? Um, to just instead go, hey, what do you guys want to watch? What game do you want to play? Uh, it's so easy for us to just want what we want and try to do that instead of truly seeking what do others want? What would be good for everyone right now? That's how we can continue to be in harmony together. As we go on uh, in 12.16, it says, Do not be proud. In 1 Peter 5.5, 5, it says, Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Flat out, like we cannot be kingdom people if we're proud. Um, one of the most recurring themes in Scripture for where people fall into sin is pride. And, and here at Harvest, like this is just something that stood out. Like I'm not saying... Uh, that we have this pride about us or anything, but being a part of and seeing other church cultures in a lot of ways, like we need to remember that everything that happens here, like the things that, that like the, the worship, the, the teaching, like the relationships, like the fellowship that we have together, all of that is God's. Like we can't ever go, look what we've done. Look what we've created. Look at how hard we've worked. And there are those that have worked really hard, and there are those that have created, and it's been awesome. But God is our head, and we have to remember that, that he's the head of our church. And as hard as we work, as much as we put into it, we can never become prideful that this is our thing. Um, or that we're doing it better than somebody else. <laughs> um, like this needs to be a place that truly is God's. And, and so then when, when we establish anything or we work towards anything, we, we submit to the Father and his leading and his wisdom as we go forward. We, we don't lean on our own understanding in the midst of it. Um, I was actually just talking with uh, my family the other day, and I was just reminded of a church that I was a part of for a time where it almost felt like the assembly, like the people there almost worship the church more than they worship God at times, um, that everything here needed to be perfect. Everything here, like, needed to be right. There couldn't be any, like, little things that were off. Or if, if this person left the church, it was this huge, devastating blow, um, where here it's felt like that at times, too, when somebody leaves. Um, but at the same time, 
Like it was more like, how could you do this to us? Instead of like, man, this is so hard, but we love you still going forward. Um, we can't worship like our time here together. We have to worship the Lord because this is his. And any good thing that we've experienced here uh, comes from God. And anything that's lame didn't. <laughs> it came from us, right? Um, so when the sound's going all wonky, or when I sing the wrong note in the song, or whatever the case may be, that's not God going, oh, some sprinkle of goodness right there. No! <laughs> that's that's fallible man. Um, and, and, and thankfully, like God is still good and continues to lead us and continues to give us new ideas and has brought about something that, that I so appreciate. And, and on Thanksgiving, like I could so be thankful for the church body that I'm a part of and, and the church uh, or the people that I get to serve alongside. Romans 12:16 again, further on. But be willing to associate yourselves with people of low position. Um, so the Romans received this instruction uh, primarily uh, because they were of kind of of high standing, right? Like they were they were well learned. Um, they they were uh, in front of everything in culture. They were the driving kind of force in where culture was going. Uh, most of them were wealthy, put together, uh, strong, all those different kind of things. And um, and they could be prone not to welcome like people that were unlearned. To, to welcome the weak, um, to welcome the poor, or, or the lower class. And so think about that, like for us, as being kingdom people, like what does that look like, right? Um, this is a way, for, for starters, that we don't think too highly of ourselves. Uh, that, that when we associate ourselves, this is what Paul was saying to the Romans, like don't, even though you're learned, even though this, even though that, like Paul makes it clear throughout Scripture, like um, here there is no slave, there is no Greek, there is no Scythian, there is no whatever the case may be, but through Christ everyone is all in all. Um, that we're all on the same level, we're all in the same standing. Nobody is higher standing uh, than, than anybody else. Um, and I'd say, like, for the most part here, like, we're pretty good at that, like, of just welcoming people. Like, some, as I've met um, people or have known people that have visited Harvest for the first time, one of the things they walked away with is, like, people really sought to, to meet me, to know me. They were so kind and they were so loving, like, as I was welcomed here in this place. Um, and that's something that, that man, I love that, are, that we can be known for in our time of fellowship here together. But also... Harvest is in Camus, and we don't have too many different types of people of the low position that maybe the Romans were experiencing, right? Um, I lived in Portland for a while, and even just like when I first came to Camus for the first time from Portland, and, um, oh, no, no jokes about Camus. Um, when I first came, i got to withhold, uh, I was blown away at how vastly different like everything was in so many ways. Um, so I want us to think, though, for a second. Say you're here on a Sunday morning, and then a man comes and sits next to you uh, who doesn't smell too awesome, um, and, and he may or may not have a home, and he, he reeks of alcohol as well. And your kids are on the other side of you, or your mom or your friend or whoever, like, are you going to be just as welcoming, just as kind, just as willing to associate with this person as you would any other person that comes and visits for the first time? And I don't say that to just throw this what-if scenario that's crazy or, or, or whatever, but there was a church that I was a part of in Portland where I met people like that every single week because they came in off the streets like um, near downtown Portland. That uh, There was a whole outreach to, to homeless people that would walk in. Um, like, and, and if for, for any reason there was a check in your heart in that of like, ooh, I don't know. Like, that's something to seek God in. Even though we may not experience that here with where we live, like, that doesn't mean that God doesn't want to work that out still to make you look more like Jesus in the midst of that. And I don't want to add to this passage of what Paul is saying whatsoever, but the other thing that I thought of is sometimes we create um, uh, a lower class for somebody in our brains, that um, we create lower positions for people that they don't actually carry. And how we do that is um, we've created those positions by saying, oh man, that person's a liar, or that person's a gossip, or that person's an atheist, 
or that person parties on the weekends, that person's going through a divorce, uh, they're of a sexual orientation that I don't agree with, or, heaven forbid, a theology that challenges my own, right? Um, that we see them and we automatically go, here's me, oop, you know, or oop, <laughs> a, little, a little bit lower, and I have a harder time wanting to associate myself with that person. Like Paul is saying, no, there should be nothing that separates us. There should be nothing that puts anybody on a lower pay than another. And Jesus answers, for starters, who we should associate ourselves with because it's what he came to do. In Mark 2, 17, it says, On hearing this, Jesus said to him, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And, and I don't, for a second, want people to think that, like, in that, I'm saying, like, oh, like, how, um, how much sin or what sin can I be in and, and yet still believe or, or, or anything like that. Um, but uh, one time I was at a camp and I heard a speaker um, say, as we walk alongside people, as, as we seek to live out the gospel with people, there's this process. And he kind of listed these three steps in it. And maybe there's five, maybe there's 20, whatever the case may be. But this is often how the process goes. Uh, that we have our friend that we're walking alongside and we look at their life and, and we're like, dude, so you want to follow Jesus? Here's all the things you need to change first. Like you can't, you can't keep, you can't keep drinking that much. You can't keep doing this. You can't keep talking to your mom that way. You can't, all those different things. Um, and then after we've gotten that and, you know, they're neat and tidy now on the outside, we're like, all right, now let's care for your heart. Like what's the deeper stuff? That, that you're really struggling with? What is it that you're really going through? Like, why, why do you feel separate from God? Like, why do you feel alone all the time? Why do you have such a low view of yourself? We care for their heart. And then after their heart seems kind of neat and tidy as well, then we're like, all right, now you belong. Hopefully that process sounds really wrong to you. Um, because as Jesus followers, as kingdom people, from the start we flip it on its head and say, you belong, and you've always belonged. You were created to belong to the kingdom of God and created to be in a place of fellowship. And we love you without changing anything about them. And then the first thing, the next step after that is let's care for your heart. Like what's been causing this separation from God? What causes you to feel so alone? Like I want you to know I truly love you, love you because the first thing I want to do is care about the needs of your heart because that's what God cares about. He doesn't look to the outside. He looks to the heart. And then from there, like what needs to change? Well, hopefully because of what take, what's taken place, we'd say to him, no, you don't want to go back to that. Remember. Like remember what God's done. Like you, you can't keep living this way. You, you don't want to keep living this way. And then we've earned that right to speak that truth like in their lives. Um, to walk alongside him. And there's crossover, right, in some of these steps and all of that. But I think that's something that we can live out better as believers and followers because sometimes we're often known as Christians more for our judgment calls on all those different types of people I listed than we are known for saying, you belong, though, in this place. We're known for what, what people make us uncomfortable instead of being a place where, like, hey, everybody's uncomfy. Come on in. Right? Because Jesus said, I'm here to seek and save the lost. Last part, do not be conceited. And it's really similar to pride in so many ways. And Paul's saying you can't do this if you're full of yourself. There's no way. <laughs> if, you're, if, you're, if you think that you're awesome, um, if you think that, that you can nail this, like you're, you're going to fail. Like You can't be a kingdom person and continue to think that it's you that's the king and that it's not Jesus. And using kingdom terms, right, if we're prideful or conceited, that's in direct opposition to Christ, which means that we're invoking a rebellion against our king. That's what, that's what pride looks like, like in that kingdom standpoint. Um, it's what being conceited looks, looks like. And that's what God's people have done. We see time and time again. But thankfully, our king is a good king and is a forgiving king. And even though there's been rebellion after rebellion after rebellion in just one individual, let alone his people, that he continues to say, 
welcome home. This is where you belong. This is where you've always belonged. Now go and love others as I've loved you. Go from this place. Be the kingdom here on earth. Have the kingdom come in Camas as it is in heaven, in Vancouver as it is in heaven, in Washougal as it is in heaven. Because everybody needs to know that they're my kingdom people too. That this is what I desire for every individual. I desire for every individual to know that they're set apart, that they're different from the rest of this world, and to live accordingly to that. Man, I, I am sitting in the front row like during this because I need to learn how to be more set apart, to be different. I want to look more like Jesus and less like Matt, right? And I keep, refer, I keep reverting back to looking like Matt a lot in my life. I'm so thankful for God's grace to remind me of who I am. And this morning, who do you need to, like, how do you need to be reminded of who God says you are instead of who your family said you were at Thanksgiving? Instead of who your coworkers say that you are, instead of who your kids think you are, instead of who your peers say that you are, like who does God say that you are? And how can you step into that to look different than what everybody else thinks? Because in that, what God says throughout Scripture is that some people will hate us for looking different. And there will be those people that are so drawn to that kingdom light that they see in us and that they see through us. And they need to know, how does this person have this kind of hope, this kind of love? And I want it to. Let's love one another well. And let's go out and love others well as, as well. Um, let me pray, and the band can come on up. Jesus, thank you for this morning. God, And it's crazy, Lord, that your word in two verses could have so much for us, God. And more that I could ever speak to, more, more than I could ever begin to wrestle with, God. Lord, and I don't, I don't want to just go back out tomorrow and, and just get busy again. Like, just get hurried again. Um, Lord, I want to remember, like, how to be set apart. Lord, and I pray that for my brothers and sisters here, that, that they would encourage one another, that we would encourage one another to live a life um, according to how you say it's best, God. And thank you so much for loving us when we fail, when we fall, when we forget, Lord, that we've been rescued. Lord, we want to be light here um, in this place. God, and we need you in order to do that. Lord, thank you for always preparing the way for us um, so that we could step into hard places. God, because you, you went there first and you took all of our suffering. Jesus, help us to have courage. In your name, amen.